trigger warning. This podcast discusses suicide and suicidal ideation, and some people might find it disturbing. If you're thinking about suicide or you are worried someone you know is suicidal, please contact your physician, or if it's an emergency, please go to your local ER. Manitoba residents, call the Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support Hotline at 1-877-435-7170 or call the Canada Suicide Prevention Service at 1-833-456-4566 or available 24-7 for voice and 4 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern for text. Websites, you can go to includereasonstolive.ca and Crisis Service Canada website crisisservicecanada.ca. You are not alone. They can help you. You're listening to Wellbeing Connection, the CMHA Manitoba and Winnipeg podcast. I'm your host, James Wellsman. The Canadian Mental Health Association, Manitoba and Winnipeg, wishes to acknowledge that we are gathered in Treaty 1 territory at the crossroads of the Anishinaabe Métis, Cree, Dakota, Ojukri Nations, and on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe peoples and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Hey, uh, listeners, it's Stephen, uh, along with James, your co-host of Wellbeing Connection. We are thrilled uh, to be with you today. And as you have heard already, this content today is going to be a bit more sensitive, yet we really want this to be informative. And we have one of uh, our great friends all the way from Calgary, Alberta, to really explain to us, you know, the purpose of World Suicide Prevention Day. And so wondering if you can introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, uh, what you do and how you're connected with the CMHA. Even James, thanks so much for having me on. I'm Mara Grunow, and I'm the executive director at the Center for Suicide Prevention in Calgary. And even though our name is Center for Suicide Prevention, we are a branch of Canadian Mental Health Association in Alberta, which of course is all part of Canada. So we're part of the greater family as well. And this week marks World Suicide Prevention Day, September 10th. And it's an important day because it gives us kind of a a solid day on the calendar to acknowledge suicide and its prevention. And the people who have died that we have lost to suicide and also the people who are left behind grieving. Um, Many of us have lost friends and loved ones to suicide over the years. And it's a difficult conversation as, as you've said. And having a day it gives us almost permission to step out and say, hey, you know what? We need to talk about this. Thank you so much for introducing yourself to our listeners. It's really testament to the multifaceted nature nature of this day where it's a day of grieving, a day of recognizing those we've lost, but also doing something meaningful in their honor to prevent this from happening again, to start the conversations. So I have a question for you. So. What role do Canadians have in participating in World Suicide Prevention Day? Yeah, well, we think that suicide prevention is everybody's business. Everyone has a role to play. Not all the same role, but we all have a role to play. And suicide prevention is, it's difficult sometimes to reconcile it when we've lost somebody. 
there can be a lot of blame and shame, anger and guilt. And when we talk about prevention, sometimes people feel like I've suffered enough. Don't tell me this could have been prevented. I've done everything I can. So it's a very difficult topic to grapple with, to understand that it's not about blaming. It's about looking forward and looking to hope and looking to how can I take my experiences and help somebody else so that hopefully they won't experience what I've experienced. But it is definitely not a time to point fingers at each other, those of us who have lost somebody. And so I understand that, you know, the, the Center for Suicide Prevention is, is hosting a, a many workshops. You, you folks really uh, help prepare people uh, in, in many different ways. So I love what you're talking about, that is everybody's business, yet the roles that we play are different. So when I think of, you know, pandemic and how that has impacted people's mental health and well-being, we know that, you know, more people are experiencing anxiety, depression, both our, our kids, uh, students, post-secondary, adults, workplaces, all of those sorts of things. Wondering how you have seen the pandemic impact the work that you do. Yeah, so definitely uh, we've seen impacts in different ways. One, of course, as exactly as you said, Stephen, we're hearing far more self-reports and also uh, organizational reports of Canadians saying that their mental unwellness is up. More people are saying they're unwell. However, that does not translate into deaths. And so we actually have not seen an increase in suicide deaths. Now, truth is we only have preliminary numbers at this point, which is normal. Uh, assessing uh, suicide deaths is actually an arduous process. And so we don't ever have instant real-time data. Um, and so, uh, so that always takes some time, but the preliminary data is not seeing an increase at all. We're seeing increases to crisis lines which we can say is positive. Of course, it could be negative because that means more people are in crisis, but it also could mean more people are reaching out. And one thing that we have noticed during COVID is that it seems to be becoming more common and more comfortable to say, I'm not okay, because we're not okay. <laughs> and before COVID, you know, people might still be kind of hiding behind it and saying, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Now, when people say they're fine, we're like, really? You're fine? What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, tell me more about how, how you're fine and how I'm not fine. I'm not fine. <laughs> uh, what's, are, are you in the same you know, country that I'm in? You know, so, yeah, like I, I love that, that there's more. It seems to be more attention to, like you said, more permission to say how we feel. And, and I know our Mental Health Week in May this past year really was about name it, don't numb it. And so really focusing on these feelings. And the work that's been happening in some of the, the whole school-based uh, mental health promotion programs of really normalizing stress, really being able to talk about the stigma that's attached to mental health and not associating mental health with mental illness. Now, when we think of suicide, people think, well, gosh, I you know, don't really want to ask one of my friends. I know that you know, they're not sleeping well. You know, they're, they're really isolated. They're just, they just don't seem themselves. They're really just really flat affect. What would be your encouragement to some of our listeners, you know, as, as they're 
in high school, is in their post-secondary, in their workplace, where they notice some of these changes, what would you encourage somebody to say to that person they care about? Yeah, so super, super important question. And um, we would encourage authentic, open, gentle conversation where we have trust and where we really hold space for people to answer. So none of this like, oh, how are you? And then you kind of keep walking or go right into your, you know, oh, can you believe the weather or the football or whatever it is? Like, no, none of that. Don't change the topic. Ask and wait. And also answer yourself honestly. So when people ask you, be authentic in your answer. And have an expectation if someone asks you um, that they really do want to hear. If, if your person is, is showing you signs that are concerning you, dive in gently, but, but, but directly. Hey, you're not yourself these days. I've noticed this. And be specific. Not judgments. So we love to judge. Hold that. <laughs> and really state them as observations. I've noticed that. You don't text me back like you used to. You're typically really quick on the text. And now it's, you know, there's a delay or you're not at the dog park on Tuesdays. And I know it's informal, but like we always see each other then. Where have you been? Or, you know, whatever it is that you've noticed, be specific. And then if you are concerned about somebody, ask directly, hey, it seems like you've got a lot going on. I've observed these things. Sometimes when people are in this situation, they're thinking of suicide. Are you thinking of suicide? It's really helpful to say the word because if you say it, they don't have to. So it takes some of the burden off of them. That's so great that you say that. I think there's a myth out in society that if we say the word, then it'll make it something that's more real to someone or something like that. But I really like what you say about it taking the onus off them. And then authenticity. I think, you know, you mentioned this authenticity that if you're really asking somebody how they feel, take the time to be present in that moment or don't ask that question. You know, and I, and I think in the hustle and bustle, you know, we really mean well. However, it really sends mixed messages. Absolutely. So we're thinking about some of the situations that might be helpful to our listeners to hear more tangible things of things they can do. We were talking about what if we're at a funeral for someone in person who has died by suicide? How do we navigate that in a way that can be helpful to the family in their grieving? How can we feel empowered to be able to spread positive messages and let people know how it makes, like how to have those genuine conversations with people? What are things we should watch out for? What are the things that we should do in those situations? Yeah, so I think, I think we all know that mental illness is, as we say, not a casserole illness. So if I say, you know, my loved one has cancer, all of a sudden, all my neighbors are dropping tuna casserole on my step. But if I say my loved one is really wrestling with bipolar disorder right now and has had to be hospitalized, people clear out and they don't want to talk to me. And I am even more isolated uh, than I was before. And I feel 
vulnerable because I've exposed myself and no, and everyone's deserted me. And it's the same with suicide. Someone dies by suicide. We allow our awkwardness and our discomfort with it to kind of eclipse what our response to, to our friends, to our family. Try to think about it in terms of cancer or heart disease or some of these other, you know, more common, maybe more discussed ways that people die. The loved one died by cancer. What would I want? What, how would I respond to them? What would I say? And try to approach people the same way. Use the person's name. The person is not defined by the way they died. They're defined by their life and by the loved ones attached to them. Talk about them. Remember good memories of them together and be specific. The last thing we want to do is avoid people who have this terrible loss. When we lose someone to suicide, we become part of a club we didn't know existed before. And it is a harsh reality. We need to comfort those people and we need to stand behind them. It's so important to just be able to have those important conversations, which by definition, almost an important conversation is a hard conversation. So coming in equipped to just be genuine, and to to really have that empathy and to feel with the people that you're talking with who lost someone. It's also important. It's uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love that so much where it's so it's so critical for for us to be real. And, and I know that when we go to uh, funerals or wakes, or we are going to a celebration of life, or during pandemic when we've not been able to grieve uh, the way that is is m- most helpful, you know, where we're not able to hug or touch or soothe. Those those pieces of healing are are really critical, and I and I and I love that you've talked about the casserole. It's you know because because it's so true. I was just talking to. Uh, a bunch of uh, youth ministers last night, you know, helping them understand, you know, uh, what mental health is, what mental illness is, the differences, and then how do we respond? And many of them were really curious about how do you have conversations with parents? So we're thinking of, you know, those that are supporting kids in school and sport, and you're noticing something because on the field or on the rink or on the diamond, there's more of who they are, their authentic self, the, the ones that you're serving. And you see this difference. How does a coach or a, a teacher or you know, those that may not feel equipped to, to really intervene, um, how do you talk to the caregiver or the parent? Yeah. Oh, and such a hard conversation to have, but so important. And I think you know, I, I personally, I've been on both sides of that equation. I, you know, I've been on the on the professional side and I've been on the parent side. And I think what I have valued most is when people align themselves with me. And so when I'm the, when I was the parent and I had a professional come alongside me and say, hey, like, I know we both want the best for your kid. That landed for me the most. And it helped to kind of level set for the conversation that um they're not judging me they're not telling me that you know it's a they're calling into question my parenting or the decisions i've made for my child but that they both we both together want the best for the person 
and uh, and that really helps to 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 bring people together in order to unpack whatever conversation needs to be had for the well-being of that young person. Um, so definitely a like becoming an ally and really showing that allyship goes a long way. Yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm 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 thrilled that you have uh, a new campaign that you've that you've launched, and uh, you know, being a former clinician who who worked primarily with men, those that identified as male, this I think is a great response to this demographic that often has a higher death by suicide rate than others. And so wondering if you can talk about the Buddy Up campaign. Yeah, for sure. So um, exactly what you just said, and we know that we have socialized our men to be strong and stoic and in control all the time. And uh, that's, that's not realistic. People can't live like that, that's not healthy. Um, and so uh, we gathered men together and we said, hey, what should we do? And what should you do? And uh, and not that there's not a role for women or for people who identify it for uh, different genders, but this is looking at people who identify as men helping each other. And the Buddy Up campaign is exactly that. It's a communications campaign that encourages those authentic conversations, not to be the clinician, not to be the problem solver or the counselor, to be the friend how to have the conversation, or sorry, how to observe in your friend things that might be concerning you, how to start the conversation, how to keep the conversation going, which is really hard because after we ask the big question, are you thinking of suicide? And the person says, yes. The first thing we want to do is run away because it's scary. It's hard. Um, and we might even like change the topic <laughs> or problem solve, but we want to remain the listener and the supporter, and then how to help get that person to help or get them the support that they need. And of course, that's involving calling the crisis line. It's not involving us solving the problem ourselves. So the campaign goes out to workplaces, community centers, community teams, whatever group of men um, that wants to participate. And we have hundreds and hundreds of groups this year, um, all across Canada, some in the States, some around the world. Uh, that just basically committed to having authentic conversations with each other. Yeah, and, and listeners, you know, if you if you go to um, buddyup.ca, they have a whole website. There's some TV ads that they put out there. Uh, the campaign is robust, and the the benefits that happen from a campaign like this is when people share it. So the idea of being a buddy, you know, I think of, I think of my father, actually, you know, he, uh, he passed away, um, you know, six years ago from, from dementia and, and attempted suicide uh, in 1992 at Christmas time. And, you know, it was really devastating for our family to, to find my, my father, you know, in a psych ward and, you know, being a resident there for, for several months. And being able to, you know, respond to, to people of, oh, you know, how's your dad? And just, you know, just not knowing. But my dad always called people buddy. One of the beautiful things about when you receive the service, when you, you've had the crisis and 
with whatever that crisis looked like, you got the support that you needed. You know, I think of my dad who got that diagnosis, you know, that, you know, he was able to, to meet with the, the, the right people, you know, and, and it came out of like an, a really unfortunate, you know, situation, but the benefits of that is a diagnosis and then a treatment plan, you know, and a, a, a kind of like a, almost a restart of, you know, this is kind of the life I'm wanting to live. I want to thrive. I want to flourish. You know, I know that I can bounce back from lots of things. So, so I love, I love the fact that, that men are talking to each other and, and it's going to be awkward. Okay. It's it, like, I imagine, yes. <laughs> you know, James, like, you know, I think for us who are, you know, uh, in this, in this industry, it's, it's, pretty normal to have these conversations. But when we start talking about our own personal lived experience, sometimes that gets a little, you know, gets a little, you know, scary and there's some fear aside uh, associated with that. But we, we talk about the value of lived and living experience and the importance of peer support. And, and it seems the Buddy Up, you know, program is really about helping people get to a place where you know, peers can talk to peers, you know, and, and, you know, almost even hope to formalize that a little bit, but it's, it's really informal. And, and I know that James is our, you know, youth peer expert in our team. And, and I'm just curious about how does peer support and how does, you know, people with lived experience, how, how can they be like, a, and become a, a buddy up champion? How can they become an ally for those that are, you know, contemplating suicide or are really languishing and just don't know where to turn and where to go. So the Buddy Up campaign runs as a concentrated campaign for the month of June, because that's Men's Health Month. Uh, but there are things people can do all year round. And I'd encourage you, if you're interested, to go to the website, buddyup.ca, and, uh, and check it out. Check out the year-round activities and also sign up to be a champion uh, for June 2022. One of the major things that we hear from people at funerals and around the water cooler is, I didn't know Billy was struggling. I didn't know it was this bad. And I often get chills when I say that because I recognize I didn't ask Billy how he was. In, a, in that authentic way of really spending that time. Now, I don't know if Billy would have said anything, but you know, I'm, I my, myself, I'm personally tired of saying, I'm, you know, I'm really surprised that you know, this, because if we're not asking, we don't know. Yeah, thank you so much for all that. It's really astonishing when you go on the Buddy Up website, just how much work has been put into the meeting men where they're at and just even the artwork of the people we know this is an awkward tough conversation we know that throughout history we've been taught for most of our history to not talk about these things and to push them aside and try to be strong through it but as we know more and more with the conversations that we're having now the stigma that is being reduced and the increased use of crisis lines having conversations with friends that these these conversations are working and so it's so important to just keep that going and 
I'm wondering if you can speak a bit to this experience that I had of, of feeling blamed. So this is something that happened in my personal life. So I was in crisis. I'd gone to the hospital, the emergency department, and the first thing that I was asked was after waiting for 12 hours, my medication was going terribly, all this stuff, waiting for so long. And the first thing I'm asked is, oh, do you, do you exercise? Do you eat? properly do you sleep properly and then i'm saying well i don't know and i felt a lot of blame in that situation and so i'm wondering if you have any crossovers between that and some of the conversations people might be having about suicide so we know that if you're talking to a friend and you go are you are you thinking about suicide something like that it might feel very blaming so is there any commonalities you can see and how we can navigate that better I definitely see that. And I think when we have a conversation with each other, um, it's important to kind of think about the preamble, like what happens before leading up to asking somebody directly about suicide. I think sometimes when we're nervous, we sort of jump the gun, right? And and we kind of just like, I, I can't patiently lead myself into a natural conversation with you because I'm so uptight. So when we're the friend, we need to really self-examine our affect, our attitude, um, our values and beliefs. And anything you can do to kind of self-reflect first would be really helpful. When we talk with our crisis line responders, um, and, and that's not even a, a typical situation because obviously the person is in crisis, that's why they've called, um, but even then, they focus on the person first and they try to talk with the person and give the person an opportunity to say, what is going on for you right now? And what has been going on for you that led you to right now before getting into the whole, okay, do you have a plan? What is your plan? And, you know, et cetera, and getting into all the nitty gritty um, details, the focus is on the person. And it's hard. It's hard. I think we can all think of situations where we have had to have a difficult conversation with someone and you just want to jump right to the end because it's hard to pace yourself. Try to think of it from their perspective. Build that trust, build the rapport, and then get to asking the difficult question. And when we ask the difficult question, contextualize it in your concern. Like, I'm concerned for you. You are important to me. I'm, so I'm asking this because, you know, in the back of your mind, you're asking this because when somebody is in the throes of suicidality, their vision is tunneled. They can't see another way out. They don't want to die, but they're in this incredible psychological pain and they want the pain to end. And they'll do anything to end the pain. And they have they're not able to see the myriad options in front of them anymore. They can only see one. Think about when you're all anxious and you can't see the ketchup right in front of you in the fridge, like you, because your mind is shut down. So when you're asking, make sure you're doing it in a way that's showing that concern and that you're trying to help cut through the tunnel vision that they're experiencing. So I just want to, to thank you for the, the time that you spent with us. We are going to put in our description uh, the website uh, for the Center for Suicide Prevention or the Buddy Up campaign. 
Again, you will have heard the suicide prevention number, the crisis number, where to receive help here in Winnipeg. For those that are outside of Winnipeg and Manitoba, again, that toll-free number will connect you to somebody immediately. Uh, and so expect somebody to respond, okay? And, and we want to thank you in advance of the courage that you are uh, presenting in, in taking that step. Uh, the folks here uh, in Calgary are doing many different initiatives, and we are we are thrilled to want to support Safe Talk and Assist and Mental Health um, First Aid, all the things that that are happening to equip people. Stephen, thank you. It's so great to work with you.